thought I'd start with a little history test. You know I like history. Um, I have there in the notes a name of something, Operation Overlord. How many of you know what that is? Wow. Um, <clears throat> it is the name uh, for the plan for the invasion of continental Europe that we call D-Day. Uh, yesterday was the anniversary of it. Um, <clears throat> this plan, Operation Overlord, was the most complex and largest invasion ever attempted in human history. I want to tell you a quote that Eisenhower said. He was the commander of all the forces and the one responsible for putting together this plan. Um, never before had so many nations, so many languages attempted to work together in one operation. There were armies and navies and air forces 12,000 planes in three different countries' air forces. 5,000 ships from five navies. There were 1,000 transport planes that had to drop thousands of paratroopers into a few areas. 130,000 soldiers were going to land on five beaches. It was beyond anything anyone had ever attempted. As Eisenhower met with his generals from all of these countries and laid out this plan, this is how we're going to do it. He realized what he was asking. He realized what he was proposing and how it almost seemed impossible, insane. And he saw the skepticism. And this is what Eisenhower said to them. He said, gentlemen, it's one team or we all lose. It's one team, or we all lose. It struck me that that was a perfect quote for the section of Ephesians we're going to look at today. It's true for the church. Gentlemen and gentlewomen, it's, all team, it's one team, or we all lose. We've been working through the book of Ephesians, if you're visiting... And we've actually had a two or three week break due to other things going on in worship. But we're in the process of working through the book of Ephesians. Um, a letter written to a church that was healthy. Things were going well. And what do you say to a church like that? Paul said to them, I want you to understand the plan of God. And how you fit into it. There's something big going on here. And you're a part of it. And I want you to understand how and why. And so we've already seen in the first couple chapters of Ephesians how much we've been given by God and how God is working out this cosmic plan that goes through all of history, all countries, all humanity. And that that plan includes us, Christians, the church, each congregation. We have a puzzle piece in that plan of God. And it all centers around Christ. That plan existed before Christ, but it was at the point where God came to earth as Jesus. And he lived here, and he died here, and he defeated death on Easter morning. That was the pivotal turning point in this cosmic plan of God. 
Everything before was leading up to that moment, and everything after is living out the results of what he did in Jesus. And because of that, Paul celebrates, we're redeemed. We have been saved from our sins. God isn't going to give us what we deserve because of what Jesus did for us. The last time we looked at Ephesians, we saw that the result of that, and Paul begins to unfold what are the results of this for us as Christians, as a church. One of the first results he begins to unfold is that the walls are removed. All the walls that we're taught as we grow up, all the walls that our culture gives us, the values of the color of your skin or your economic label or your gender or all of those walls the world puts on you, in Christ, they're gone. Those value systems don't matter because that's not how God sees us. And Christ in his death showed that all of us matter to God and those walls are removed. And that's where we left off. But Paul's not done. He actually is going to start building. And in one sense, the first step of his building is, okay, first we're going to remove the walls. And now once the walls are removed, this is the next step. And that's where we're going to begin today. If you turn over to Ephesians 3, we're going to start with verse 1 and actually look at six verses here. But Paul begins in... Oops. I need my Bible. It's in the pew rack. Oh, no. That's not quite as bad as it seems. I normally have my scripture in my iPad, but not today. First verse 1. For this reason, all that's happened, all the walls have been removed... For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he stops there. Now, I love Paul. He's not easy because Paul has, I don't want to be too hard on him, but he loves rabbit trails. And he's quite willing to go on one. He doesn't complete this sentence till verse 7. For this reason, I became a servant of the gospel. But in the middle as he's thinking about what God has done and called him for the Gentiles and, and all that, he's like, you do realize what I've been called to. And so now he's going to talk about that. And we're going to look at today. And next week, or we'll come back to verse 7 as he goes on in a little while. But I want to stop there for just a second. Paul understands that he, too, is a part of this plan of God and this working of God. And he is okay with that. He uses the phrase, I am a prisoner of Jesus. I was thinking, I think for us today, we might say, I have handcuffed myself to Christ. Whatever he wants to do, wherever he wants to go, I'm going with him. I think maybe that gives us a picture of what Paul was trying to communicate. Paul said, I'm not calling the shots anymore. I have made Christ my Savior and my Lord, and because of that, I'm his to use. And whatever he needs from me, wherever he needs me to go, I'm going to go there. And he says up front, and what he's calling me to is for your good, for the Gentiles. 
because the walls are torn down and you matter to God as much as the Jews do, he sent me to you for your sake. If you read some of the rest of the New Testament, you read Paul admitting his preference would have been sent to the Jews, his own people. He had a heart for his own people. He grieved for his own people because they had rejected and killed Christ. And his heart was breaking for them. And he had said, God, please send me to them so I can help them. But God had said, Paul, I need you to go to the Gentiles. And Paul says, okay, I am handcuffed to Christ. Whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. I'll go there, even if it's not what I would prefer. So then Paul goes on to talk about a secret that he understood and that hadn't been understood. So let's go back, and now I want to read 2 through 5. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God, by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. I want to stop there for just a second and talk about this secret that Paul talks about. This expression of God's grace. He had received this because of what a loving, forgiving, kind God he is. And it was a mystery that hadn't always been understood. Now, what we see in what Paul's talking about, of course, is this key event. And what God would do by coming to earth and dying on the cross as Jesus and defeating death. Now, in the Old Testament, there had been signposts about that. We read these prophecies at Christmas, if no other time of the year. But they were signposts. And while they pointed to Christ and what God would do, what happened in Christ was so unbelievable that in many ways, these signposts had left a lot of debate. Well, what's that going to look like? How's God going to do that? What would that look like? And so there was a lot of different opinions. Sort of like our opinions of the second coming. You can go and fill shelves with books about the second coming and they don't all agree. But the scripture says it's happening. Well, translate that back to the Old Testament and that God would send a savior called a Messiah. Signposts, it's going to happen. But there were lots of opinions. And what Paul said is, we are so privileged because we now live in a time when we don't have to rely on just signposts, hints. It's happened. It's right out in front for everyone to see. And through the Holy Spirit, God has helped us apostles and prophets understand the implications. What does this mean that God came to earth? What does this mean that Jesus died on the cross for our sins? What does all of that have to do with us? And Paul said, we are so blessed because we now are at a point where it's all out in public 
and God's just helping us unfold it and what it means and how we apply it and how our lives are changed. And Paul said, I feel so blessed to be part of that process and to live where I live. So I'm not still in the Old Testament having to interpret these signposts and I think they mean this. I think God may do this. He says, no, we know. It's happened, and he's making it clear to us. Now, Paul said, he's explaining all this to me. Now, what's it mean? Well, that's where we need to go back and read verse 6. Okay? This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Jesus... Now, we've already seen that. That was the last sermon. The walls are torn down. Members together of one body and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. In, as Paul writes this, he actually uses the word together three times in the Greek. Together, we are heirs with Christ. Together, we are members of one body. Together we share in the promise of Christ, the, the results, the consequences of what Jesus did. Three times he talks about together. That's what all this means. That's what this mystery has to say to us. Now, in a sense, we've talked about the first one and the third one in some of the sermons leading up to today. So I want to talk about the second one. And there's two reasons I want to do it, not just because we haven't talked about it before as much. Here's an interesting little trivia for you. We're now to chapter 3 of Ephesians. There's six chapters. This is the first time he uses this term of we're one body with Christ. The church is one body. He will use it six more times. Because really, this becomes one of his key focuses. What's God's plan? Well, his plan is that we become one body together. And in a few verses, he said, now did, do you remember I said we will become one body together? And in a few verses, oh, I forgot to explain. We will be one body. He's going to do that six more times. So it's clearly a key concept for Paul and one that he feels it's very important for us to understand. And that's why I want to spend a little time today sort of unpacking it. In a sense, what is the point of Paul's uh, analogy here that the church should be one body? Well, I think one of the things that we need to understand is that at the end of chapter 2, he says the walls are removed. But you and I both know we can remove walls, but that doesn't produce unity. It's almost like there's a two-step process. The first step in the process is you remove the walls, the old values that separated us, our prejudices, our judgments. We have to remove those. But once they're removed, we have to make the second commitment that we will become one. A commitment to unity, to being one body. And that's really what Paul will repeatedly touch on for the rest of the book of Ephesians. In one sense, that's why God removed the walls. So that we can become one body. 
Well, why is that so important? Why is it Paul's going to spend so much time talking about this unity? I want to give you three reasons it's so important. First of all, for God's plan. Can I go back to Operation Overlord? Eisenhower knew you can have all the resources here, all of these nations, all of the armies, navies, and air forces, but if all of those pieces don't come together and work together, we will lose. Gentlemen, it's one, it's, it's one team or we all lose. God knows that's true for the church. He has work for us to do. We have key pieces of God's cosmic plan. We're not spectators in God's plan. We are participants. But he also knows that we will be ineffective if we are not one body. If we are not united, committed to each other, working together. And if you're here and you've spent much time in churches, you've probably experienced churches that aren't that way. You've experienced churches that are divided, that have different groups, and they're not working together. And you also have seen how ineffective those churches are. God knows that if we're going to accomplish a lot for him, we must be united in one body. And that's one of the reasons it's so important. The second reason is our credibility with the world. God wants us to show the world a different way of living. If, if Jesus is your Lord, if you're in the kingdom of God, we should show the world there is a better way to live. And they're going to look at not just our words, but our actions, our lives, and not just our individual lifestyles, but how we collectively relate to one another. And if we are telling them a message of a God of love, a love for all people, a God of grace and forgiveness, and we're not living that out, if they don't see that in our churches, they will quickly say, well, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. And they won't believe our message. And we have experienced that, I'm sure. As I said, if you've been around churches very long. That's why Jesus said this as a part of his final prayer for the church, his, his followers. My prayer is not for them alone, the, the physical disciples that were with him that night. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The truth is, our credibility, whether or not the community around us will believe our message of a God of love, a value for all people, a a grace and acceptance and value, they're going to say, well, are you living that way? Do we see it in your church? And if they see one body, people united, committed to each other, 
different races working together, different economic levels working together, different genders working together, all the values that divide our world, if they see those not here, if they see us as one body that forgives each other and goes on still united, if they see all of that, then they begin to believe a message of a God of love and a new and better way of living. But we have to be one body. There's a third reason that that unity is important. And it's for ourselves. God intends for us to experience many of his blessings now. Not just in heaven. Now. And often he intends for us to experience those blessings of God through other people. God with skin on. I love that phrase. Because we are physical beings. And there are many things in life that only become real to us when we experience them in our physical world right now. Does God love me? Well, I need some people to come around me and show me that love of God. Some people who are willing to be his hands, his feet, his mouth. And then when I feel, feel that love, that grace, that forgiveness, that worth, that value, then it's easy for me to come and read scripture about a God of love, sing songs about a God of love, because I have experienced that God of love in my church. That's why this becomes so important to us for our own good. Because we need to be a part of a church that is one body. If not, we won't experience that love of God, and we will at times wonder, is it real? So it's in a united church that is one body that we understand love and grace and forgiveness. We find help and encouragement. We pray for each other as somebody's going to do something I wouldn't do. We celebrate victories together as somebody else's child graduates from high school. And we high-five them and say, great job. And we high-five the parents and say, you made it. And we celebrate together. And we benefit from each other with different gifts. I just stand in awe of how God orchestrates the church. Because you get together with a team of people and you start planning something. And people bring different gifts to the table and it's just fun to watch it happen. After promotion this morning, there were about six or seven of us on the stage. And we're going to do booth at the Andover Fun Fest to let the community know of a, as a church we're here. And there's creative people up here with tape measures and masking tape. And how are we going to do this? And somebody's going to have a tractor. And somebody's going to have a water feature. And somebody else is doing this. And, somebody, and then somebody says, well, what about doing this? And it's like, wow, isn't that amazing? How God brings all the pieces together when they work together. And we're going to see in a few weeks, Paul's going to spend almost half a chapter talking about that. But we can't get blessed by all these different people and their different abilities, experiences, if we're not one body. 
And if I'm not willing to add my gift to the mix, my abilities, my interests, which is why we want you to fill out the survey on iConnect so you can add your abilities to the mix so that those same abilities can get linked up with somebody who needs them and you can make a difference in their life. And you're sitting there thinking, well, it's just this, and I just paint, and I just like to paint. It's no big deal. But somebody else is saying, I am so better today because you came and you painted. Because it's one body. And we're working together. Paul talks about it again and again and again throughout his letters. Because he saw how crucial this was for the church to be the church. Just read 1 Corinthians 12. The whole chapter is about this concept and how important it is for us. It's no doubt, it's no surprise what Eisenhower had to say. Gentlemen, it's one team or we all lose. Paul would say, Christians, it's one team, or we all lose. We must be one body, united in Christ. And then we will do everything the world, God needs us to do. The world will believe us when we tell them about a God of love and power who is three and yet one. And we will all experience the blessings and the benefits of being a part of the church. One body. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful you led Paul to write the letters he wrote. For they contain truths that are just as relevant today. And you removed walls so we can be one body. One united family of God. Men and women, young, old, rich, poor, black, white, Asian. All those divisions gone, united together for you. May that always be our commitment that we would be a church that is one body for you. In your son's name.